in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. I'm Gabby Dunn, and this is Bad With Money, a podcast about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you and we're all learning together. Today, we're going to get a little spiritual. 
The topic of wellness and mental health is very, very white. Very white. Every time you hear about a wellness cult on a podcast or a TV show, it's almost always run by white people. And that can go sour real fast. So this week, we're going to delve into mental health and financial wellness for people of color and other marginalized people, specifically Black women like Patrice Washington, a mother who built her finances back up after disaster. Patrice believes that there are so many factors beyond the money itself that impact your ability to be quote unquote good with money. It's a mental battle. And how do we refuel our spirits? Patrice Washington's Instagram and website and books have names like Seek Wisdom, Find Wealth and Chase Purpose, Not Money. That's why she stuck out to me amongst all the people who I might want to be on this show or get emails from asking to be on this show. I'm not the audience for this kind of spiel usually. Like I don't read self-help other than maybe sometimes a Buddhist teacher's book. And to my hippie father's great chagrin, I don't meditate. But I do like to have people on the show that have completely different approaches than I do. And something stuck out to me about a spiritual approach to money. Our second guest is the trauma of money's Chantal Chapman, who joins us to discuss how intergenerational trauma, so slavery or the Holocaust or other genocides, can have lasting impacts on our money scripts today. Trauma of money is a compassionate approach delivered through online training that explores frameworks for healing collective and individual traumas to create financial safety and well-being. This is according to their website. I love Chantal's Instagram presence and the way it espouses nuance and anti-shame rhetoric. So Patrice and Chantal, to me, both represent looking at money in a holistic wellness way, looking at money in a way that cleanses our spirits, that has to do with our minds and our emotions. In our interview today, Chantal discusses how specific events such as losing a lot of money or familial abuse or other psychological hardships can be specific to financial trauma. I've wanted to have Chantal on the show for a long time too, as well as Patrice, because I think trauma, quote unquote, has become such a buzzword. But Chantal has built a curriculum around mental health and finances that takes into account the wide cultural differences in the priorities of non-white people and in the priorities of less privileged people or people with psychologically traumatic backgrounds, people with mental health problems and people coming out of severe situations. This is a money episode, but it's also about your spirit, your soul your wellness. All the kind of stuff that I might be skeptical of, but here we go. So now let's hear from Patrice. My name is Patrice Washington. I've been known for many years as the money maven, but really I I would say I'm just a woman who's really passionate about helping people redefine wealth for themselves. So what I do in my work as a speaker, as an author, as a fellow podcaster, as a media personality is go everywhere I can and just try to get people to understand that wealth is not just about money and material possessions. There's so many other things that are connected um, to wealth and how you go about living your daily life and managing your finances. And I really subscribe to the original 12th century definition of wealth, which says it's about the condition of well-being. So I'm just someone who's passionate about helping people be well, um, because that's what the wealth and wealth stands for is like being well and helping them shift different parts of their life, their lives that are probably impacting their finances. They just don't know it. 
Yeah. So can you talk about that? What what do you mean by well-being? Well, you know, I can tell you from my own story. So the reason I'm really passionate and compassionate about financial education as a whole is because I got into personal finance really young, started at 19 in real estate, 21, became a real estate and mortgage broker, built a seven-figure business by 25. And then when the real estate market crashed, I went crashing with it. And I thought that I was well-versed in just like personal finance education because I was out talking about budgeting and savings and debt elimination. And then I went through this season of such a huge financial failure, really. And just, I mean, literally on welfare and scraping up change. And as I thought about rebuilding my life, there was only so much freaking budgeting you could do. I know. Right. Like there's only so many times you can check your credit report. It's really what do you have to do internally? What do you have to do mentally? What do you have to do physically to prepare yourself to actually rebuild or to have the finances you say you desire in the first place? So I talk about the six pillars of wealth. And for me, these are the different parts of your life that you should be examining because without looking at those, they're probably impacting the way you deal with your finances. And so I want to be well in my physical and mental health. I want to be well in my relationships. I want to be well in these different areas of my life or it's going to mess up my money eventually. Yeah, I was going to say, so what are the six pillars? So the first pillar is fit. And that's about being mentally and physically fit. It's it's about becoming your best self, right? Um, And so for me, the physically fit piece, listen, we all have goals, we have dreams, we have visions, but we live in a culture that is very much geared towards hustle and grind. Yeah, It's very much like, you know, team no sleep. Don't sleep, don't eat. Yeah, right? You hear all these things. People wear exhaustion like a badge of honor. And I say, are you really working this hard to pay for prescriptions one day that you cannot pronounce? Like you may have a vision for your life, Gabby, but at the end of the day, you only get one vessel and we have to do a better job of being aware of our physical well-being so that we can actually enjoy the stuff that we say we're doing this for. And not just that, but also it's about being mentally fit. I think a lot of us give up too soon. What do you mean? When you are first going out, not even first, even when you're, you know, entering or evolving Shit happens. Like there's just so many things that happen. And if you're not mentally prepared, you could check out before you really hit your stride. Mm -hmm. And many of us, I think, check out because we're dealing with a lot of childhood trauma we refuse to address. Mm -hmm. Right. We have limiting beliefs. Many of us, I know as women, sometimes we deal with a lot of imposter syndrome. There are just so many things that mentally can cause so much clutter that you can't even see what's like what's up ahead you don't see that you know if I keep if I stick with this there's a possibility this could work out Mm -hmm. right there's a possibility I could become a best-selling author or I could do whatever these things are that we want I think think about how that impacts your finances if the very thing that you're going after to help you build wealth is difficult which life is difficult it's not a matter of if it's when that makes a lot of sense What are the other pillars? Okay, so there's people. That's about creating relationships that matter. Um, I talk about that personally and professionally. You know, how we show up in relationships really does matter. A lot of the opportunities that I've gotten over the years that have helped me build wealth come from being in conversation with people, being connected to people. You know, one thing can change everything. Greatness can't be created in isolation. And so I really in there talk about 
you know, maintaining and preserving your relationships. I work with a lot of women, a lot of mom guilt out there. People don't necessarily go after the dreams and things they want to do because they think I have to choose between being a good person and doing this thing that I want to do, the things that are going to help me build wealth. And so I know as a mother, I have a 14-year-old daughter now, and we're really tight. We're really close. But when she was like five years old, she taught me a lesson about not being present when I was in her presence. Oh, Yeah, you know, because, you know, kids tell long stories. Right. And it's like and then (laughs) and then and then. And so I'm like listening to her story, but I'm not. I'm scrolling on like Facebook or something and I'm smiling and I'm nodding. And she's like, Mom, that's not a good story. Oh, yeah. She's like, this is not a happy story. Why are you smiling? And I started to see this pattern of her feeling like I was there, but not there. But I was like everywhere signing books and on stage and doing all this stuff. But what good is that if the people who you say you love don't feel it when you're there? There was like so many things compounding. But once my relationship with her got better and I was more intentional about being present, I could then go out and be the best I could be on stage and everywhere else, which only led me to more opportunities, which led to what? More money. Let's see their space. You know, clutter is the physical manifestation of chaos in your mind. And so many of us, you know, when I was working with people one-on-one and uh, like financial counseling, they would look up in the sky, they're looking all around. I'm like, where are your financial documents? Like, where's the, where's the paperwork? If your financial documents are out of order, how can you expect your financial life to be in order? I've never thought of that. I have never thought of um, the documents being all over the place. Like, it's just, it just makes sense, right? Yeah. Like, just organize your shit. Like, just bring it together so that you can do the things that you say you want to do with your finances. That's like a simple first step. One of the things that I learned as a writer, right? So I'm an author and I used to write for other websites and all this stuff. I would sit down in my spare room. That was my office. But one day I looked around. I just could not get in a groove. I couldn't get in a jam. And I looked around and I'm like, This is the room that everything goes to die in, right? You know that room where it's like extra packages, like, you know, just anything, suitcases, your kids' toys, like anything goes in this room, but I'm calling it my office. And at the time I was like, is this the space of a best-selling author? Is it? I'm like, I don't know. You don't make as half as much money as people think as an author. I know. I know that. And I really just start like taking steps to just like clear stuff out and promise you, Gabby, like within weeks, things just started to open up. All of a sudden I was just having like these new downloads and new creative ideas. And all of those things, I believe, have also led me down this path to continue to build my brand and my business. So that's space. And then there's the faith pillar. Faith pillar is about believing in something greater. To me, that's not about a religion. It's not about like subscribing to anything in particular. It's just understanding that if you do say you believe in anything, just make time to practice it. Because again, life is going to happen. It's not a matter of if it's when. Kind of like I was saying in the beginning, we just, we give up very quickly. And so sometimes we just need to, you know, 
have something to kind of hold on to and keep our hope there. Um, the fifth pillar is work. It's about living your life's purpose. There's always this like, go find your purpose. Go search for your purpose. I don't really think that's true. I think all of us um, have gifts, talents, skills, something we were born with freely that we can tap into, things we genuinely just enjoy, we naturally lean into. I think it's a matter of accepting it and not judging ourselves for the things that we're into. Yeah, interesting. You see what I'm saying? Because being a money person really isn't that sexy. Let's be real. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we like it. <laughs> but if it interests you, go go towards it. Yeah. It's tough because I feel like people don't know what they want to do. So that's why a lot of people are in grad school. Oh, my gosh. I know. You know what? On average, people have $100,000 plus of student loan debt. And they're in jobs that make maybe 40000 a year. It doesn't match. You know, like it used to be if you took out loans reasonably, you could expect to pay them off from your first job. Whew. We're far away from that. Yeah, not the case anymore. And listen, I believe in, in education. Like, don't get me wrong. But, you know, to get a degree that by the time you leave school, what you've learned is kind of obsolete because things are like happening oh i majored in print journalism so you know, <laughs> so you know what i'm saying <laughs> it was not a good move uh but that you know i think too like i wonder about the the classism or the um you know the bit about like oh i have to go to this type of school when i think a lot of people are waking up to at least understanding that if they have a passion go to the technical school for that passion if they a community college is also a great option, things like that. So it depends on like reevaluating what what is uh, deemed as like successful or whatever, you know. That's precisely what redefining yeah. wealth is, because for my parents generation, they wanted the most prestigious thing because it said something about them. Like I worked hard for my kid. And it maybe impacted your wages. Right. Right. And I worked hard for my kids to be able to do these things. Now, for me as a mother, I have a 14-year-old daughter. I don't care what school she goes to. I want her to be in a space that is happiest for her. And if she chooses to not go to school immediately, to take a gap year, to do any of those things, my fulfillment is not defined by what school my daughter chooses. I went to school in Boston and I knew a lot, I didn't go to Harvard, but I knew a lot of kids at Harvard and they were like, I worked so hard to get into Harvard. Now I'm at Harvard. I have no idea who I am or what I want to do. Absolutely. Um, what, what is, is there a final pillar? The final pillar is finally money. <laughs> so <laughs> finally I talk about money. Um, and that's why I just really go through like basic personal finance principles and, and how to interact with the money that you say you desire, attracting the money you say you desire, because I really believe what we have with money is a relationship. And like with any relationship, what you nurture grows. You're already going to be so much more ahead of the game because most people play a game of avoidance with money. But I think that basic personal finance is basic. Like it's it's actually really simple stuff that your grandma probably told you or you heard like from a big mama somewhere, right? But if you mentally are dealing with so many other things in the other pillars, it's really hard to just follow through on what you already know. A lot of people that write into this show are like, I, I just, it keep, it, the hits keep coming. 
I was just speaking in Arizona a couple of weeks ago and I was sharing about the pillars. And there was a woman named Nancy who literally came up to me in tears afterwards. She's like, I because I told them about scheduling doctor's appointments. I'm like, especially as women, like we will just like put ourselves at the bottom of the list. She came up to me. She said, I haven't been to the doctor in six years and I know something's not right. She made an appointment there at the event. I've met people who are like, you saved my life. Like they caught, they caught cancer. We're working to, to subscribe to, you know, buy prescriptions we can't pronounce one day. You know what I'm saying? That's where that comes from. It's like, if we don't get more proactive, we're going to have to react to something later. So the idea of manifesting, people always see it as this like white person privilege kind of like thing. Um, and I've kind of, I have always kind of acted like a fake it till you make it or like I've had, you know, like I, I act like this is what I am because I feel like people are attracted to people who present themselves as successful. Um, like if you want more work, you have to look like you're already working, which is kind of this <laughs> double-edged sword. But like, how do you define manifesting in response to like that sort of criticism? Um, that's a really great question. I personally believe in living in your aspirational reality. I do think that it is really important to put yourself in the spaces um, that you that you see for yourself, right? You know, for me, I remember when I first started speaking, first of all, I was just so happy that someone was even interested in paying me to talk. Like, I've gotten in trouble for talking my whole life. So someone was like, I'll give you 250. I was like, I'm there, right? And I remember like, as my speaking career started to grow and I would like be in the airport all the time, I start going, I want to get to the to the front faster. Like, I'm just trying to get there and sit down. And I remember thinking, man, I wish I could travel first class. Now, because of my background, I'm I'm a Belizean American girl from South Central Los Angeles, you know, from the hood, not not where folks are talking about traveling first class or doing any of the things that I'm doing. Right. So I don't really have a full frame of reference for any of this. But I'm like, one day I finally said, well, let me look it up. Oh, so you were like, this is this is within what they're paying me so I could afford this. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was like the upgrade is eighty eight dollars. Like and I paid the eighty eight dollars and I upgraded. And then some other gig came up and maybe next time it was like $160 and I did it. And when I was able to say I travel first class, not because someone else did it, but because I started to look for ways, right? It's like things just open up. So as, as time went on, maybe a year or so later, I just made it a part of my thing. Oh, I, oh, I travel first class. Thank you so much. And they, and they would go, oh, OK. And they would update the writer. If someone had like a little pushback, we would figure things out. But I'm saying that to say I don't believe manifestation is like just this woo woo, say it and do nothing. I believe we still have to show up and embody not just what we want, but who we want to become. And that wasn't an exercise in just wanting to travel first class. It was like teaching myself that I deserve it. It was teaching myself to ask more for what I want. It was teaching myself to treat myself how I wanted other people to see and treat me. It, like, like there were so many other lessons that you can connect to the fit pillar. You can connect it to having conversations that were uncomfortable, but I became comfortable having them, you know, from the people pillar. Like all of these things started to come together. So while I do believe in manifestation, I believe that there is no acceleration without action. 
So I was curious, like, what what is like spirit led guidance? How does if you're like a religious person, how how does, you know, this guide financial hardships or financial well-being? Oh, that's a great question. So I can tell you, you know, for myself, um, I did grow. I grew up very religious. I don't necessarily consider myself super religious now, but definitely more spiritual. But um, having a religion for me as a foundation, I think was really connected to my resilience. So when I lost everything, the thing that I found that changed everything for me was this one scripture. It was Proverbs 17, 16. And it said, what good is money in the hands of a fool if they have no desire to seek wisdom? Which is why my Instagram name to this day is still Seek Wisdom. But what I've learned over time is that we have replaced um, intuition and that inner guidance with information. So we will seek out information, like more and more information. Like someone's like, I got to listen to more podcast episodes before I do the thing. I have to read 16 more books. I got to go back to school and get in more student loan debt, right? Before I do the thing. Now we all have evidence of making bad choices. We've all done some stuff where we're like, God, dog it. I should not have done that, right? But the the for me, that faith pillar piece says nothing is happening to you. It's happening for you. So even if you've made some missteps, even if you've had some failures, even if you've done some things that you don't feel particularly proud of, you still have an opportunity to look at them and say, what is the lesson and how do I use that to just keep moving forward and take the next best step? So I'm in a season where I'm just like I call it a season of obedience. And that's being obedient to my spirit. Like when my, when that still small voice or something inside is like, go this way or don't go that way, freaking believe it the first time. Well, it's just like we said, by the time you're done, that information is obsolete. Now you're back to the drawing board. And someone else has just like made a choice and moved forward. And so I call that that spirit-led guidance. Like a, a big part of my life is like, you know, being still a lot. I build in a lot of time, thinking time on my calendars. I build in like literally I try not to do anything. I just I have therapy. You know, I may talk to my life coach and then I just build time to like think and process um, different things going on in my life. I pray a lot, you know, or I'll journal or I'll meditate or just different things that just allow me to really process what's going on. Because you receive so many cues and even advice from people that you really like. It's not always in alignment for you. Just because it worked for someone else doesn't mean it's for you. But you have to be willing to ask yourself, does this resonate with me or am I just doing this because so-and-so said it sounded good or, you know, because so-and-so did it. Because you can take the same route as someone else and end up in a completely different place because it wasn't authentic to you. Oh, yeah. Or like it's hard to even go back and explain if someone's like, how did you get to where you are? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't tell you. And you can't replicate it. So, <laughs> yeah, you can't. You can't. And everyone's journey is their own. Even with this personal finance stuff, it's like, you know, it's not a one size fits all thing. You, you have to be able to take the bits and pieces that work for you and your personality and leave the rest and know that either way, if you're consistent and you're diligent, you'll be fine. Like you'll get there. It's like, are you going to keep nurturing the relationship you have with money? You don't have to do all the things that everyone is talking about. It's like choose the stuff that resonates with you, but stay consistent. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you and more about you? 
thanks for having me. This was cool. Um, <laughs> and you can find out more about me at patricewashington.com. If you want to get those pillars, just go to patricewashington.com forward slash start here and you'll get a little cheat sheet that breaks down all the pillars. And then if you're on social media, my favorite place is uh, Instagram and I'm at Seek Wisdom, of course, Seek Wisdom PCW. Thank you so much. Now we're going to speak to Chantal Chapman about trauma and reciprocity in the wake of a system that does not value those ancestral roots. My name's Chantal Chapman. My pronouns are she, her. I live and work on the, um, the stolen traditional territory of the Kwantlen Musqueam and Sawasan's peoples, which is just outside of Vancouver, BC in Canada. And I'm the co-founder of a company called Trauma of Money. And what I do is I'm a financial trauma educator and researcher. What is financial trauma? Yeah, the great question. Um, Financial trauma, if you were to Google it, you would probably see um, trauma that is directly linked to a financial experience. So a couple examples of this would be Um, let's say you invested everything you had and you lost it all and you were shocked and surprised by this and and it resulted in you experiencing scarcity that could lead to trauma. Um, Living in poverty, living in extreme scarcity for, um, you know, a consistent period of time, a couple months could result in trauma. Uh, going through a divorce and having um, issues around divorce, around money and the divorce could result in trauma. This is very specifically financial trauma. The way we talk about it through trauma of money, though, is we believe that any type of ta- trauma that you experience completely separate from money can impact your relationship with money. Um, because at its core, trauma can leave us feeling unsafe and unloved. And then when we start interacting with something like money, which is supposed to represent value and safety, we can see that because trauma can impact those things, money representing it uh, can bring up trauma reactions. Um, We also talk a lot about collective trauma and how just living in capitalism can create trauma and clearly impact our relationship with money. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is um, just living and existing in capitalism um, can result in trauma. So it can result in an unregulated nervous system. It can result in... um, heightened reactions where we essentially lose access to our prefrontal cortex, where we move into this or that type thinking. Um, We lose access to like our full cognitive capacity um, because of some of the conditioning that we've received as a result of capitalism, which prioritizes profit and money. Right. Yes. I mean, how does this work with like intergenerational trauma? You know, I think a lot about coming from um, Holocaust survivors and how that, you know, impacted my father and impacted me. And, you know, I'm sure in a lot of your work, you work with um, black people or indigenous people. So how does intergenerational trauma work around money? Yeah, it plays a really, really big part. Um, And 
we have we have this model in trauma of money and we and this model is essentially became the basis of our entire curriculum and we asked this question what actually impacts our relationship with money and the answer is the model and uh so there's six layers to this model and the first layer is intergenerational and generational trauma so that's the first layer because it is something that is so impactful on how we interact with money um looking at our the history of our ancestors looking at the lineage and seeing the experiences that they've gone through um can give us a good indicator of how we're going to show up with money so generational and intergenerational is layer 1 layer 2 is relational trauma so trauma that we experience in relation to someone else or something else within our lifetimes um layer 3 is societal trauma so this is where things like um trauma as a result of society or dominant culture so capitalism consumerism colonialism the patriarchy like all the isms kind of sit in this societal trauma piece and then layer 4 is uh systemic trauma so understanding that because of societal trauma because of generational trauma and relational trauma certain systems have been created that um will elevate some and marginalize many others which results in more trauma and then layer 5 um we call laws of nature and this is this category is to explore our relationship with money through multiple lenses and lenses that are more aligned to our values because like in capitalism we're really told um that if you do things this way you're good if you do things that way you're bad and we really want to invite into the exploration with money that we can hold multiple views at the same time and there are other world views and um we call the category laws of nature because one of our favorite world view that we love to talk about is reciprocity and understanding that um in nature reciprocity is a very thriving law and it's something that actually doesn't really exist in capitalism so there are folks in capitalism who take 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 and then there's others that feel so bad for their that exploitation and that taking that they end up on the other side of the scale and they're just giving 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 so they're also not participating in reciprocity and this giving 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 leads to to multiple financial disorders which we see such as overspending financial enabling which is essentially like financial codependency entrepreneurs creating social ventures and not being able to uh create profits in their business cuz they're undercharging and they're you know cuz they're they're also not creating in that that exchange the reciprocity and then the last layer is financial literacy. And we always say financial literacy is the last layer because we from our research, we have found that if you are in a trauma triggered state or if the brain believes that you're in scarcity, we lose access to executive functioning, executive decisioning and cognitive capacity. Right. I've seen a lot of stuff about how financial literacy without context uh doesn't really work. <laughs> No, and like the government uh, has spent 
you know, millions of dollars on financial literacy programs, it doesn't really have a lot of impact if someone's in a trauma triggered state that when someone is in scarcity, they do certain things like they go, their brain basically goes into a tunnel. So they experience goal inhibitions. They're not able to do any long-term planning because all they can do, all they can really handle is like what's in that tunnel. How does it work with, you brought up reciprocity, which is interesting. Like how does that work with cultures that do do have that, but it's not rewarded, you know, by capitalism. I always think that we view financial literacy or budgeting in this very white, <laughs> very like white middle class way, whereas like, you know, I've talked about this before, but my problem with writing about millennials has often been that they say, oh, millennials do this, millennials do that. Um, and what they mean are white upper to middle class people within an age range, and they don't mean they're not consciously or subconsciously, they don't mean black people. They don't mean people in, in inner cities. They don't mean indigenous people on the reservation. Like, you know, so how um, how does it approach, you know, how do you approach uh, people that are, you know, dealing with money in, in a different way? Well, we, so we take this approach that it, at its most simplest level, this is the approach. We work to decrease shame and increase discernment. And so, what we encourage um, folks to do is to explore views that are connected to their values. So if they come from an ancestral lineage where reciprocity was a big part of it, but maybe colonialism or capitalism ripped it away, how can you elevate those beliefs more, right? Um, so, so we really encourage like inviting different views in and to remind yourself that it's okay to interact with your money from that viewpoint, not, not, not just this like white patriarchal capitalist, like way to manage your finances. So that's that piece around, um, increasing discernment to be able to be like, oh, that, does this tool actually work for me? And is it actually aligned with my values? Maybe the, you know, that rule of like how to split your finances for this part, housing expenses, this part investing, this part spending doesn't work because I want 20% to go, my income to go to reparations or community care, right? So it's really about like first connecting to, well, we actually say first always is like finding ways to nourish and regulate the nervous system. And then second, connecting to a vision that's in alignment with your values. And we really encourage um, doing like an exploration of some of your, like your ancestral lineage around that to figure out, you know, is there any views that were like predominant culture lens that actually feel really, really good and in, in alignment with me. Your podcast help pe helps people decrease shame. Like, oh, thank you. The word, though, like the name of it, bad with money. Like, it's kind of funny, and it's like, oh my gosh, people hear that and they relate. They're like, I, I am too, you know. And it's like, when we get together, we like talk about this stuff. That helps us decrease shame. Because what shame does and why shame is so shame so powerful is it makes us feel like we're not going to be accepted and we don't belong and we can be abandoned. What are the narratives around money that you have about yourself that says that you're bad with money? And let's talk about that. And then when we do talk about that, whether we're doing it just alone with ourselves or in a group, the next step is always to meet it with empathy 
and acceptance. And then also the piece around increasing your discernment helps decrease shame because increasing discernment means looking at multiple multiple experiences, multiple lenses. And then you're not in this like comparison, this or that thinking, which amplifies shame. Mm-hmm. What what is this or that thinking? It's a it's something that can happen when we go into a trauma triggered state and we go into this like there's only this way or there's only that way and there's no other options. Yeah, when we were talking about um when you were saying people just being like I'm bad with money, how do you start when someone that's just like what they think? Let's say they've clicked on this show and they're like this is just what I'm like. So the first thing we would say is we would say, oh, okay, well, like what makes you bad with money, right? And because some people will take on the I'm bad with money as an identity. And then we ask a question, which is really um, illuminating, which is whose shame is this? Oh, yeah. What does that mean? So if, if you say I'm bad with money and I say, well, oh, whose shame is that? It's going to make you be like, yeah, where did I first learn that I was bad with money? And then you could be like, oh, you know, maybe my mom, she like told me that I keep spending my allowance too fast. Or maybe my math teacher told me that I was terrible with numbers. Mm, I love that. Um, So like we, there's something else that I saw in your work that's trauma-informed entrepreneurship. What does that mean? Yeah, yeah. You have to put a value on it. And then and then you don't know if like the public is going to accept that value or not. Yeah, because you're saying this is what my work is worth and you're hoping that other people will agree. And then it's like so, you know, you see people – I see it a lot with artists doing commissions where they'll get, you know – just really mean messages back saying, well, this is too high. This is not, you know, I, this is not sustainable. Why don't you do this for free? Like they, oftentimes I see them post the, the ways that people talk to them and it's really wild and entitled. Uh, that's awful. That's so awful. And if any of you have experienced that, I'm so sorry because that's, Pain, that's really painful. And, you know, as you learn more about like the way people interact with money, when I hear someone giving a response like that, I'm like, oh, you've got lots of trauma of money, not the artist, the person making that comment. Yeah. So I was looking at some of the topics and um, I the one that stuck out to me was the class on time. I know you don't teach that class, but that like, how does that tie into money and like, cause it made me think of my partner who has ADHD and how they just lose track of time. Yeah. Yeah. So that class is really fascinating. Um, I, it's taught by Maceo Paisley, who's an incredible thinker, creative philosopher. And, um, he basically ha- he basically has us explore, um, some of the narratives that we've learned around time and, to to tune into them and see if they actually work for our values that we have in life. If you, um, like, I guess through the lens of charging time, time for money, right? Or even overspending and not having any, like, future orientation 
or if you're constantly living in the past because of maybe trauma, maybe you're too afraid to spend. So maybe you're completely like undercharging or maybe you're overspending because you are so much living in the past that you're looking for like ways to calm pleasure in the moment or create pleasure in the moment. Increase dopamine. Yeah. You're just like, I don't know. I need to fix this. Yeah, exactly. Increase dopamine in the moment. And, and that, um, w- that's something too, which is linked to ADHD is, um, you know, lower amounts of dopamine and, and sometimes seeking dopamine increases through the way we interact with money. What qualifies as trauma or what, what is it, what does it cause? Cause we've talked like around it. I feel like saying like nervous system regulation and, um, and this or that thinking. Yeah. Well, um, we, we like to take on multiple views of trauma. Uh, we think that's really important in our approach and some of the, uh, trauma right researchers and educators that we we follow, we talk about their work. They really talk about it as anything that uh, puts you in a s- situation where you feel unsafe or unworthy. And it, it results in um, an imprinting in the brain where if you interact with any situation like that in the future that feels familiar to that incident, it can alter the reaction of the nervous system. Yeah. I So... Um, I feel like there could be someone that is listening that says, oh, well, you know, I don't deserve this help because it's I'm I don't it's not that bad. And w- everything that happened to me isn't that bad. And like, I don't you know, so like it's one convincing yourself that you are that like this is a larger problem than just like I'm dumb and deficient in some way. Well, I would talk a little bit about like, what are some of the mean messages that we receive in dominant culture? Like you, I think you brought up earlier productivity and, you know, the whole like hustle culture thing, right? And just go into a bit of a dialogue, maybe with yourself or with someone else and explore some of the narratives that you've learned or you've grown up with. And uh, see if they are impacting you in any ways that that don't feel great, right? Because, you know, we always say, especially when we explore things like money disorders or financial disorders, it's only a disorder, not if a third party says to you, but if you feel like there's a problem with the behavior. I guess break free of, of all of that stuff of all of this societal stuff saying like, no, this is just your fault. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. my It's reminding me of my dad's a, a big in AA and it reminds me of a, a thing where it's like, it's not how often you drink, it's what happens when you drink. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because in the 12 steps program, they love their slogans, right? And we love that too. So we use lots of slogans. And one of them we say is the why of the buy. I do it as like, I'm a, I'm a new person now. Whoever that was before who didn't have this thing, <laughs> I don't know them. But, I, but now I have this, so I'm different. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, where can people find out more about you and your work? We're on Instagram at Trauma of Money or www.traumamoney.com. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gabby. You have a great podcast. So thanks for increasing discernment, decreasing shame for people. 
Did we get woo-woo enough for you today? I don't think it's necessarily woo-woo. I want to take that back. I think that it is important when you're talking about money to recognize that it is something that brings up a lot of emotion for people. There's a long history, not just your own history, but your ancestors' history, the history of your own immediate family, but then their immediate families, um, a larger cultural history. So I don't think you have to settle for financial ladders and learning that is one size fits all. In fact, I guarantee that you don't. You do not have to divorce your financial journey from your mental health or to go even further from your spiritual journey. Yes, that's right. We've gotten into spiritual journeys here at Bad With Money, though I promise I'm not going to trick you into joining a cult. I have been listening to the podcast Twin Flames hosted by my bestie Stephanie Beatriz, so that is on my mind, but I promise, I promise we are not about to get culty here. You're not being silly by wanting to take your race, ethnicity, ancestry, and family roots into account when figuring out why your mind and body react in certain ways to money. In fact, even though I'm not starting a cult, I'm going to insist on it. Thank you so much to Patrice and Chantal for being our guests. I would love to hear from you guys about this episode, whether you think it was too hippy-dippy or whether you really loved it. Be sure to send me an email at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com or leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also email me a voice memo if you prefer. Join our online communities too. We are on Instagram, Discord, Patreon, and Facebook. Links to all of these will be listed in the episode description. And don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. Okay, thanks. Namaste. Bye. Done.